let's then focus for which we're, the purpose for which we're here. And I'm going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Very, very weird text. How many messages do you have that begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Hello? Uh, but but there's, a, there's a situation here that is going to encourage us to move further in our life of faith. There's a situation that Paul describes in the fourth letter to the Corinthians that we know as the second letter to the Corinthians. There were two written in between that we don't have copies of. And, and uh, one of them, we know why we don't have copies, because Paul himself repented from writing it. Uh, so... <laughs> Somehow history has figured out not to bring it on to us. But this is actually 4th Corinthians. This is the letter that uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church that he himself established. These are his children in the faith. These are the ones that grew up uh, uh, f- their faith and spirituality because of his teachings, because of his words, according to the ones that he received from the disciples. Yet they had issues and there was a fight between them. Oh, there was a fight between them. And 2 Corinthians, if my good old uh, uh, theological student remembers, it's a letter where he's defending, right? He's defending his ministry. He's defending, but he's also doing something secondarily. He's actually going throughout all the churches, collecting an offering. There was a famine in Jerusalem. And the things were very bad for the Christians and believers in Jerusalem. And, and Paul has been writing and visiting the churches in Asia Minor, today known Turkey, and that northern part of, of, uh, of um, Greece. Um, and he's been writing them, and he's telling them that the Macedonians are really doing a good job in collecting the offering. The Corinthians had began to collect the offering very, very successfully, and then the gossip took over. And when gossip and distraction takes us away from God's move, we get paralyzed. So Paul, in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, is encouraging the believers of Corinthians to pick up where they were at and continue to do the good deeds that they were doing. Keep on moving. God has moved in their lives in such an amazing way that Paul is telling them, I want you to keep on moving. So let's listen to the story as we catch up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember this, Paul tells them. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Those of you who come from weird churches like I came from, uh, some of them, listen to this. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Pressure, manipulation, guilt. Don't give reluctantly or to pressure. Uh, sometimes the, the, the preacher who's talking about this gives, and give in, they may read it, give in spite of pressure. So they're asking you to give to the church your rent or your mortgage, and then what? God will provide. Yeah, a letter from the bank. <laughs> and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves the cheerful giver, and God will generously pro- provide 
all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As Scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and bread to be eaten. In the same way, God will provide an increase for your resources and then produce a great harvest of money. No. A great harvest of hoarding. No. Mm. A great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. So I receive to give kind of thing. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Oh, it's not about me. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will provide you a they provided you with the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. The word of the Lord. A lonely star in the sky. It starts to flicker and begins to cry. A lonely star looks down on us all. It takes a step and starts to fall. A lonely star falling down like an apple from a tree. It still wears a frown. A lonely star laying on the ground. It looks to the moon, a home it never found. A lonely star whose light is fading is cold and crying she spent her whole life waiting a lonely star blinks her goodbyes her light goes out and she slowly dies what a dark and dreary image a lonely star a simple lonely star who is supposed to, to be part of the whole constellation, finds itself lonely, separated, in darkness, and then it loses its entire vitality. It loses its identity. It loses its light. It loses its purpose. It loses its flair. The star who, who is supposed to shine and give light, who is supposed to inspire awe and oddness, perhaps. Lonely. Falls and die. Interesting imagery that our sister Mikhaila Zenowski writes. In this poem in, in, in which she basically describes the spirit of loneliness. 
the darkness, the sense of being lost, confused, distant, and perhaps mysteriously alienated, unreachable. A sense of loneliness and alienation that every human being experiences, no matter where you are sitting down in this sanctuary. That loneliness, that emptiness, that solitarily, that simple lostness in the crowd, that silent amongst the resounding noise and a shadow in the middle of the lights. These are the feelings of sadness. These are the feelings of depression. These are the feelings of hopelessness and even a sense of negativity and pessimistic life. Loneliness, alienation, separation, or darkness. Loneliness from God, alienation from Creator, separation from the light. It's just not the design that God has for each one of us. See, God did not intend for us to live and, and, and to have our existence and to have our life, to experience our life in this empty, dark, narrow world. Well, all there is is food, biology, and hopeless dreams. That is not what God intended for us to live into. God intended us to live a full life that actually... God moved. From the beginning, God has been on the move. When there was darkness over the earth, when there was darkness and no meaning, when there was chaos, when there was darkness, God said, let there be light. When there was chaos over the face of the, of the abyss, or the deep hole of darkness, the Spirit of God still hovered over the face of darkness. I sometimes like to call that, that uh, movement of the Spirit when Edwin was void and empty and darkness reigned in the life of Edwin. The Spirit of God still hovered over the dark and said, let there be light. Can you own that text for yourself? Because from the beginning, God has been on the move. God has been on the move. God has been creating. God has been changing things. God has been on the move. You see, when, when there was nothing, God made it all in diverse and unique forms. Thank God he did not make the elephants to fly. But thank God God made hundreds, if not thousands, of variety of birds. Each according to their species. How about trees? We see the distinction of trees as they fade in the beautiful colors of fall with the reds and the browns and the burgundies and all these yellows and oranges that I'm still amazed at. God is on the move. When peoples were lost, God called Abraham and did not give him a GPS, but gave him faith, gave him a promise. When God, when humanity was, had, had lost God and had declared, you know, that we have no God and they were lost in darkness, God declared a covenant. I will be your people, I will be your God, and you will be my people. God is always on the move. When Israel was enslaved and taken away because of their own consequences, God liberated them and brought them back home. When Israel, oh, in the Israel poetry of Israel, this idea that God is always on the move on behalf of God's own children is, is enshrined in the psalmistic poetry that we just read in Psalm 105. 
It's a long psalm. It took three people to read it. But in it, we saw how God created, how God called the people, how God called the nation. And this nation was then enslaved. And then uh, Donna read the part of the, of the liberation of that slavery. And then I had the opportunity to read the part of the deliverance and how good God is to all of us. God is on the move. God is moving and God is not quiet. When God's people get lost, God found them, and he brought them back through the laces of love, laces of mercy, laces of teachings that we call Jesus Christ. When God's people were lost in faith, God displays God's own power, God's own amazing power, God's mercy in deliverance, in provision. God provides. And even our salvation, even the fact that we may have fire insurance, and I hate the fact that we limit salvation to just the end of life. There is so much in salvation, but yeah, we limit it to the end of life. But that's not all there is. Salvation is not a fire insurance. Salvation is a way of life. It includes the fire insurance, by the way, but that's not all of it. It's the beginning that culminates in that eternal movement with God as we are moved through the Spirit by God. But salvation, as God describes it, is something that encompasses all of our being. Salvation begins with God. This is real love, says the Apostle John in John in 1st John chapter 4 not that we love God listen to the orientation here this is real love not that we love God but that he loved us first that's the key he loved us first when you were despicable when you were what was that basket of deplorables when you were um what else when you were sinners when you were in darkness when you were totally confused when you thought you knew you had it together but things weren't working guess what God's love comes in. God's love breaks into our reality, whether we acknowledge it or not. God is on the move in our lives because God extended salvation first. Do you hear that? God extended salvation first. And then you keep it by coming to church. I hear laughter. I hope you guys don't agree with that. Because coming to church... It's not going to turn you into a Christian as going to McDonald's is not going to turn you into a, 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 a hamburger. There you go. It's not about going. It's about being. It's about being yourself. If we go to McDonald's, are we going to jump in the meat grinder? <gasps> Think about it. God wants us to become like Jesus. So God is on the move. How are we moving? I don't see anybody moving. I mean, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to be sitting down. Yeah, I know. Are we? Oh, there you go. You see? And the thing is that, that when we receive and when we perceive the move of God, we can stay quiet. That's the next point, by the way. And we go to our text. In our text, what we find in 2 Corinthians is Paul telling the people of, of Corinth, hey, you guys are doing good. You guys have kept it up, you know, good, good, good. But let me tell you how giving is done. And he talks about giving as an example of responding to God's move. These people responded by giving. 
So in this case, this church is going to be given to the church in Jerusalem, and Paul is telling them how to practice, how to best practice the giving to God. And this is the way he does it. He first of all deals with spiritual issues of giving. And you have it in verse 6 and in verse 10. In verse 6, 8, and 10. Let's go to there. Verse 6. Remember this. God uses metaphors to explain his realities. First of all, these are three parables that we find in this, in this, in this section of Scripture. And so the parables were not only limited to Jesus. So remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get what kind of crop? Farmer who goes all the way, what are you going to get? A lot. See, that's the principle. Verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have what you need and plenty to hide, store in warehouses. No. To give to others. And in verse 10, the third metaphor, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. God even provides rain for that seed to grow. God even provides a positive weather for that harvest to grow. And God even provides for the sowers to collect the growth. So not only did God is, is, is giving, is teaching us spiritually, but God also provides and he initiates us to give. Notice, God is the one who gives what? The seed, right? Right? So God initiates. God provides the giving. God provides the seed. What do we do? We plant it. So this is a cooperation between God and us. And the idea is not to hoard, but to live generously and to give generously. God provides abundantly so that we can give also little. Abundantly. There you go. So God initiates as the giver of all. This example talks about how God initiates as the giver for our generosity. God also talks about the practicality of giving. In verse 7, uh, Paul is saying, don't give out of reluctance. Yeah. If you have doubts, if you have issues, you know, don't give. Don't. I'm serious. Don't. I don't know what Pat will say about them. <laughs> but if you're reluctant about it, hold back. And if you're feeling pressure, if somebody's telling you, if you don't give, your faith is not going to grow, well, that's true, but you have to give cheerfully. You see, you have to give not out of pressure and not out of reluctance, but out of freedom, out of what the Bible calls in the old terms liberality, joy. Gratitude, grace, you give, and you give, and God who provides the seed will provide. So God not only deals with the spiritual aspect of giving, but also the practical aspect of giving. And then he talks about the results of this kind of giving. And the results are that people will give. Well, not only their need will be satisfied, but that they will also give thanks to God. So your giving is doing what to people? Satisfying their need. And doing what? And pointing them to God. That's the key. The giving is the excuse, Gabby. The goal is to point them to God. If we have to have a water of water that says, think about God. Oh, 
Once in a while, that person might think about God. That's a good sticker for a bottle of water. <laughs> think about God. See? That's the idea, is to point to them. So God has moved. How are we moving towards best actions? You see, faith, as we were discussing in Sunday school, is not a concept. It's not information. It's the life we live, the practices we do based on the beliefs we have acquired. So faith is not a concept. Faith is action. Thanksgiving. Have we really done what we've done with Thanksgiving? Let me see if I have what I wrote here. Very nasty stuff. Look at this. Have we turned our response to God's grace by reducing it to a domesticated holiday where we, oh, I wrote this nastily, where we have hypocritically pretended to please God by separating a day, by baking a bird, eat and drink, watch football, catch up with family gossip, and prepare to engage in, se in severe material consumption. Now earlier rather than later. And do we dare to call this Thanksgiving? Well, you know, we can have the bird. We can have the gathering. We can even go shopping. But what's the purpose of it all? What's the meaning of it all? Is Thanksgiving a day or Thanksgiving a way of life? Let me challenge you in that one this morning. Is Thanksgiving a way of life where we actually realize that we are not alone in this world, that we're not that little lonely star separated from everything, doing our own thing, living our own life, shining though flickering and weak as it can be, pretending we are something when we know we don't have it? Is that why we have reduced our lives to things, to experiences. God has moved and has moved in amazing ways in our lives. How are you going to move in your relationships? How are you going to move in your finances? How are you going to move in your health issues? How are you going to move with one another? How are we going to move in this community alone? Or maybe with constellations together. This must have been some other presidential debate. Because <laughs> it takes a lot of time to do that first one, and I did it. And the TV was blah, 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 in the background. Which one do we rather be? The lone, sad star that died? Or the stars connected with one another? As God has moved in our lives and has shown and poured his love, poured his grace, poured God's own light in our hearts to the Spirit. I insist we should move together. I insist the light of God is greater than the darkness. I insist that our life is a life of acciones de gracias. Spanish class. We don't say thanksgiving. We say acciones de gracias. Actions of thanking. That's how we do it in the island. 
we behave with actions of thanking. Not just giving. Actions of thanking. How are we thanking God? With what actions are we thanking God? Now let's say it together. In French, répétez s'il vous plaît. Repitan, por favor. Acción de gracias. Acción de gracias. Actions of thanking. Spanish. That was Spanish, right? Thank you. And God who pours everything, who has poured God's self into us. Next week we're going to have that. That's Greek, the top one. And that reads Eucharistia, right? And that means thanks. So when you're in Greece these days and somebody gives you something, you say, Eucharisto. Thank you. So how do you say thank you in Greek? Eucharisto. Thanksgiving, after all, is a word of action. Repeat after me in Spanish. Acciones de gracias. Amen. <laughs>